Thanks for downloading the McKay interview. This podcast is brought to you by Kyoto Japan Automotive Group, a company which I've known personally for over 20 years, and your one-stop shop for tires, batteries, and auto parts. Visit their website at www.kyotojap.com for more details. My guest on this podcast is Switzerland's permanent representative to the United Nations and other international organizations in Geneva, Ambassador Jörg Lauber. I asked Ambassador Lauber to explain Switzerland's relationship with the UN and Geneva's importance in and to the United Nations. Switzerland is presently one of the non-permanent members of the Security Council, and I ask him if there's the remotest chance that the Security Council can reform itself. We touch on the extent to which the Swiss population takes an interest in what is going on in the United Nations and whether or not it is important to him that they do. I also ask him how Switzerland behaves neutrally while also being a member of the United Nations Security Council. And in closing, we talk about what Swiss neutrality really means these days and his duties and obligations being the head of the host country's delegation to the UN in Geneva. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. I've not searched out the polling statistics to verify what I'm about to say, but my guess is that if a global opinion poll was taken at the United, about the United Nations, a large majority would say that it is a good thing, though far from perfect, and that if it did not exist in this year of 2023, an attempt should be made to create a talking shop, a debating chamber for the world's nations. Of course, the United Nations, which exists today, is much more complicated than just a talking shop, but the UN is, in my view, a great credit to the wise efforts of world leaders who, after the ending of a terrible world war in 1945, did their very best at the time to create an intergovernmental organization whose stated purposes were and still are to maintain international peace and security, develop friendly relations among nations, achieve international cooperation, and serve as a center for harmonizing the actions of nations. I mean, who on earth could argue with that? Now, today we're going to look at the UN through one particular lens, that of Switzerland, the country in which I've lived for close to 40 years, and though a great democracy, which only became a UN member in September 2002, almost exactly 21 years ago to the day of this interview. My guest is Switzerland's ambassador and permanent representative to the UN and international organizations in Geneva, His Excellency Mr. Jörg Lauber. Hello, Your Excellency. Thanks for making time for me today and for inviting me and listeners to the McKay interview to the Swiss permanent mission here in Geneva. Hello, and thank you very much for having me. It's good to see you again. Good to see you again. Ambassador Lauder, many of our listeners listening to this program today are outside the borders of Switzerland and might not be familiar with the significance of this country's special relationship with the United Nations being one of the oldest parliamentary democracies in the world, and one of the most conspicuous democracies to choose to join the UN so late. Please trace briefly for me the key steps of Switzerland's relationship with the UN, as I'm sure many non-Swiss, and perhaps even Swiss too, will be fascinated to hear it. Yeah, thanks. Happy to do that. Uh, Yes, indeed, uh, you mentioned that uh, Switzerland is one of the longest, oldest constitutional democracies uh, in Europe. In fact, next week we are celebrating 175 years uh, of our first Next constitution, wow. the 12th of September is uh, 175 years since Switzerland adopted its first uh, constitution, federal constitution in 1848. 1848, yeah. yeah. Um, our history with the UN is not 
quite that long, but it's it's in a way longer than the UN in itself. You know, Geneva was the seat of the League of Nations, and the United Nations is the successor organization to the League of Nations. So in 1948, when the UN established was established, um, it was decided that Geneva um, should be the European seat um, of the United Nations. So we have a this long history. Since 1945, we are an important host state um, to the UN, and also since its establishment, Switzerland was a very active observer state. So people, just so they understand it, you were a host state, but not a member. Exactly. Right, okay. yes. A, a host state anyway, and an observer, but not a, uh, not a member. And then, as you said, uh, full membership came uh, relatively late uh, in 2002, and since uh, we joined uh, in this 20-plus years, I think we can say that Switzerland was uh, very active. We were a member in several uh, bodies of the United uh, Nations, uh, Economic and Social Council, Human Rights Council several times, and now, uh, since the 1st of January this year, also a member of the Security Council. Okay, fine. Well, before we get into the heart of our conversation, please tell me and our listeners a little bit about Geneva's importance to the United Nations, because I guess a lot of people don't realize how important this city is. I think it's fair to say, with with uh, un, unusual, uh, maybe let, let's not be too modest. Uh, I think it's fair to say that Switzerland, Geneva in particular, is the most important center of multilateral cooperation in the world. In and most people would agree with you, wouldn't they? Uh, yeah. At least people who know uh, what what, uh, what is going on here, uh, they have a, a sense for that. In terms of history, as I said, uh, Geneva, you know, International Geneva, as a as a place uh, for international organizations, uh, started in the 19th century with the establishment of the International Committee of the Red Cross, and then the early international organizations like the International, at that uh, time, Telegraph Union, uh, the International Labour Organization, in the late 19th century were established here, then the League of Nations. So it started even before the UN. It's also huge in terms of of volume. You know the number of international organizations, more than forty international organizations. So besides the UN, many other organizations are in Geneva. More than forty. Four zero. Four zero. Yeah. Okay. It's a, it's a big number. Yeah. Hundreds of non-governmental organizations, all the permanent missions, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, make this this volume. Then thousands of delegates who travel to Geneva every year to attend conferences. The meetings. Then also in terms of diversity, um, you know, the, so many issues are being dealt with in Geneva: human rights, humanitarian affairs, labor, trade, uh, telecommunications, health. I could go on and on. And again, not just the issues, but also the diversity of actors. You have government representatives, you have international organizations, you have civil society, you have academia, you have the private sector. All of them participating. In, in, in Geneva, in this multilateral uh, world. So, yes, it's the European seat of the United Nations, but in many ways, it's actually bigger uh, than the United Nations. Now, Switzerland is a member of the Security Council. Just give me an idea of what Switzerland's objectives, or even commitments, I, I don't know, but at least objectives, as it entered the race for that coveted seat on the Security Council. You know, the, I think the sense... The, dis the decision at the base for um, us wanting to become a member, an elected member of the Security Council, was always the realization that it is 
uh, a responsibility for a UN member state to participate in the Council and to contribute to international peace and security. A country like Switzerland very much depends on international stability and international stability depends on peace and security. The prosperity of Switzerland and its people depends on stable conditions around Switzerland and the realization of that and that we have to make an active effort and contribution to international peace and security was at the basis. Then also early on it was decided we don't want to be somebody else just to be electable or to be on the Security Council. Like the continuity of our positions, the continuity of our engagement in all uh, the areas that are being dealt with in the, at the UN, that was uh, also at the basis. And then of course it's an opportunity to advancing your agenda and making uh, a contribution. So we defined for the two years four priorities. Uh, number one, sustaining peace in the sense of taking a large uh, view of what constitutes peace. It's more than the absence of a hot conflict, the absence of shooting. Uh, and how can we, with our own, ex own experience and, and capacities, and uh, contribute to that? Uh, number two is the protection of civilians, a very traditional priority, of the course, right course uh, ex yeah. exactly, uh, given that Geneva also considers uh, itself the, the global center for humanitarian uh, affairs. Number three is the, the relation between climate change and peace and security, an obvious one more and more uh, when we see what's happening uh, with the climate conditions around the world and the impact this has uh, on societies and, 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 and on peace and security. And then number four is also uh, something we've been promoting um, since ever we've been a member of the UN is efficiency and effectiveness uh, of, of the Council. We've been working on the working methods of the Council for a long time, as in other areas of, uh, of the UN. So these four priorities are not, again, they are to be seen in a continuity of positions, initiatives, we've taken in the UN in the past, but we want to drive them on as a member also, uh, as an elected member of the Security but this, Council. Ambassador, this may sound like a simplistic question, but it's not, it's not meant to be simplistic. Um, but our, our audience is a very general audience. What, what are the big issues today for Switzerland as a member of the Security Council, or do they follow these four that you've just told me? Or well, is there anything you, different? If you, if you look a bit what happens uh, around the world, you see that these four priorities are really spot on. Um, one, you see a lot of tension between the big powers in the world, and this comes down to some level of tension within the Security Council, especially among the permanent uh, members, which also means that the role of the elected 10 members is even more important. If the, if the permanent members, the big powers, have difficulties finding common ground, I think that the elected members have a, an additional task to, to drive the agenda uh, of the Security Council. And can I stop you there? I mean, in, in your experience, because you you live it as a professional, can these people have influence on these, because this is my next question, these sort of relics from 1945 who are still on the Security Council, can they put pressure on them to change behaviour? To a way? certain extent. I mean, you, of course there are limits to that. And the Council, like the UN uh, at large is a reflection of the global situation, is a, is a reflection of the relations the member states have amongst themselves. So you see that also in the Security Council. But the fact that you have these 10 
who are elected for a two-year period who come to the Council because they made a decision, we want to make a contribution to international peace and security, you can take initiatives, you can put issues on the agenda of the Council, you can have events in the Council that are to a certain extent able to, to bring the agenda forward. That's just, good. Just an example, um, you know that there's a monthly... The presidency changes every month, and 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 we had uh, the first time we had the presidency was in the in the month of May, and we had two events, one on again sustaining peace about how to build trust uh, among nations, and another one on the protection of civilians, and and both they didn't change the world, but they put these important issues clearly on the agenda of the council for the world to see, for yeah. the other member states to participate, sure. and to share ideas and share share best practices, and indeed that way, I think we succeeded in advancing these two, these two, these two issues. Now, it's, it's no surprise that I'm going to ask you the next question, and I'm almost of that generation. I was born a little bit after the founding of the United Nations, I'm a great believer in it. But um, first of all, you m must be, I've met you before, a realist to be in the profession you're in, but you must have a good sense of optimism also to be in that profession. Is there the remotest chance, in your view, that the Security Council can reform itself? It reflects a worldview surely of the late 1940s that's surely not relevant to today's reality. I'm, two points on this. First, yes, it, the composition of the Council, the, the five permanent members reflect the geopolitical reality of 1945. And it's true, I, I very much believe that multilateralism, an organization like the United Nations, has to continuously prove their legitimacy through participation and impact. And no comments on that. You see where, where my point is. Yes, yes. But in the reality also, things have changed a lot. You know, there is 193 member states that take part in the discussions uh, within the United Nations uh, who drive the agenda on. Um, so the, the five permanent members, they cannot choose just anything they want. They have, yes. to, they have to also see where the discussion is going among the wider membership. They have to take that into they account. They take the temperature as well. And, and yeah. They have to, yeah. uh, not least to preserve uh, the special position they have. They, sure. they have a responsibility towards the rest of the membership, and they need to take this into well, that's account. Encouraging. Into that's encouraging to know. I was going to ask you, um, I hadn't realised it only lasted one month, but realistically, what were you able to achieve in four weeks? You know, it's, it's by design, of course. Uh, the, the founders of the UN didn't want to have an all-powerful presidency of the Security Council, which, in my opinion, makes sense. You know, the system in Switzerland where we change the president every year it's a bit similar. We want strong institutions. We don't necessarily want to have strong individuals. In that way, it makes sense. Yeah. So if you have a, a month of presidency, your first priority is really to assure the smooth working of the council, you know, the meetings, preparation, etc. And I think we succeeded uh, in the month. So there's uh, a lot of work of in May. that. There's a lot, lot of work uh, in a that. lot of organizational yeah. work to make sure that things that have to be decided, like extension of a peacekeeping mandate and all the, man, the, the work that has been decided before, the follow-up, and don't forget, the, the implementation of decisions is as much as important as in taking new decisions. Yeah. I think that, that uh, was handled very well by our colleagues in New York. And then we had these key uh, moments I mentioned earlier, one on the protection of civilians, 
one on, on sustaining peace where we were able to draw the attention to, to bring on uh, some ideas to, to get really uh, a discussion going around this point. Okay, let's just turn to um, Geneva now. We're sort of at the halfway stage of our conversation. With your very busy multilateral agenda, please tell me a little bit about the top, let's say, three or four issues for you here at the UN Geneva. I mean, they must be complex, but which ones absorb you the most, Ambassador? No, we have this double role of Switzerland here in Geneva. On the one hand, we are the host state, and then we are also a member state in all these organizations. And as a host state, um, my priority now, and uh, together with my colleagues here and in Bern, it, and together with the partners, which are the city of Geneva and the canton of Geneva, is to make sure that the actors of international Geneva, the international organizations, the diplomats, the families, the NGOs, find the best possible working conditions here in Geneva to do their job. So how do we develop the host state offer to all these participants? How do we develop infrastructure? For instance, in times of you know, digitalization, we've seen over the last two or three years new uh, models for uh, how we are doing conferences, how we are doing work, talking about uh, home office and hybrid content. How do we adapt the infrastructure? Uh, to make sure we have the best possible conditions? How can we make sure that the services we provide are, are, are up to uh, quality? How can we make sure that the security, high level of security we have in Geneva is maintained? So that's part of being a good host. That's exactly. Yeah. So that, that is uh, definitely uh, my big priority. And then on the other side, the more multilateral side, there is, of course, very important issues uh, at stake um, which are also dealt with in Geneva or primarily dealt with in Geneva. Think about global health, the current negotiations at the World Health Organizations about how do we better prepare national health systems for a possible next pandemic. So what advice, what best practices, what expertise uh, do we want to share with the member states uh, how, to, how to, to give them the ability uh, to face uh, to new challenges. I was talking about digitalization. ITU, the International Telecommunication Union, plays an important role. They're looking into what's the impact of artificial intelligence. How do we preserve humanity? You know, humanity is so mean, much yeah. at stake of international Absolutely, Geneva. Yeah. How do we, we preserve humanity in the face of, of technological uh, revolution? Climate uh, issues are in discussion here at the World Meteorological Organization. The Human Rights Council is a very central body in Geneva, and, I mean, you look around the world, uh, what you see in terms of increased violations uh, of human rights. So the work at the council is, is, is very important. So several, let's say several thematic priorities. And again, just for my benefit, you know, not having the detailed knowledge and information that you have, just give me an example of how that synchronizes, how that dovetails in with what goes on in New York. No, the, the UN essentially works on three levels, or the multilateral system works on three levels. You have a, a level of political debate and conversation where member states and others come together and, and, and say, okay, we see that climate change is getting worse, what do we do? And that, I think, is primarily the role of New York, the political debate. Oh, okay. Then you have a level uh, where you start taking... Uh, developing standards or norms, you know, okay, we have um, health issues, we need to have uh, standards for national health services. 
Um, we have, you need norms for technical equipment, etc., etc. That's Geneva. Geneva is IT, a, ITU, a, that kind a, of thing. That's a lot yeah. of norm setting. Yeah. Not necessarily legally binding. Some of them are just technical standards. They can go as far as legally binding treaties, but the standard setting, that's a strong point of Geneva. And then the third level is the operational level, what, uh, what happens in the field. But whatever happens in the field, of course, is influenced by decisions taken at headquarters. And here again, Geneva has an important role as a back office uh, to many humanitarian operations. You know, UNHCR is here, ICRC is here, International Organization for Migration is here. So New York, primarily the place for political debate. Geneva, primarily the place of norm setting and of operational backstopping. My guest today is Ambassador Jörg Lauber, Switzerland's permanent representative of the United Nations and other international organizations in Geneva. And we're talking naturally about the UN as well as Switzerland's special relationship with it. I want to just turn to the Swiss people for a moment, Ambassador. I've lived here a long time on both sides of the Röstigraben, to, to use the local expression for that. And I just want to know, in your experience, to what extent does the Swiss population take an interest in what's going on in the United Nations, whether in Geneva or in New York? And is it important to you that they take an interest? And give me some concrete examples of how that relationship with the people, the Swiss people, exists. It's very important. Please. It's very important for us that whatever we do in foreign policy, including uh, in multilateral organizations, is very much grounded in domestic uh, policy. You know, we are a semi-direct democracy. A lot of things are being decided by the people, That's not right. least even our participation in the UN. You know, That's 2002, right. We had a popular vote. I didn't ask you about uh, that, the, how it was uh, done, but I mean, it was good you uh, mentioned uh, it. So yeah. Really, that's, that's all the basics. Yeah. And, and ever since, um, I, I think we can say that the, the level of interest among uh, um, parliamentarians, media, and, and the people at large for what the, the UN, the UN system, the UN organizations do, what we do in the UN uh, is, is, fairly, is fairly high compared to, to other states. Um, also, another example is the the debate, uh, uh, the discussion before we joined the UN Security Council. Should Switzerland become a member of the I remember, Security Council yes. uh, or not? And now there's a very high interest also for what's happening in the Security Council and what are Switzerland's initiative and uh, etc. I, I find that very comforting. I find it very comforting to see this level of interest, to feel the level of support. Also, by the way, for International Geneva, there's a very high interest and some sort of, I would even say pride. I think Swiss people, maybe they don't know all the details what's happening in Geneva, but they are proud to see Switzerland as a host to the community, to the international community. I think they can they see this as a contribution. Mm. We invest quite a lot of money. Mm. Uh, they see this as, true. as a contribution to the multilateral uh, cooperation. And they... They're ready to, to support that and they're ready to keep investing in that. No, I, I'm not surprised that Geneva supports it, but I've often thought, having lived in Inner Schweiz in the centre of Switzerland, you know, to what extent, if you ask the man in Uri and Schweiz and Zug and these places how they see things, I'm not sure. I just don't know. That's why I asked you the question about the Swiss population in general. Again, I don't think uh, they would have a detailed knowledge no. of what's being discussed I here in, in this and that organisation, but... You know, I mean, with regard to Geneva, most people, I would vouch, will know about yes. there is this place where all these international conferences or where these organizations are. 
most people have a notion of the humanitarian tradition of international Geneva. Yeah. And again, they feel they feel proud uh, to be. Yes, I feel that here uh, too about that. A, a particular question: Your colleague, Ambassador Thomas Gremmingham, you know well, I'm sure, explained Swiss neutrality to me and my listeners back in March of last year on this radio program. That was just over one year after Russia's illegal invasion of Ukraine, and we were discussing EU sanctions and at the time the recent decision then of the Swiss Federal Council. He said many things to me of vital importance in that interview. However, some particular words which still remain with me were his remarks concerning Switzerland's neutrality. He told me, and I quote, that Switzerland's best friend in international relations is international law and that you need to show solidarity with the friends of international law. Please bring me and our listeners up to date on the current discussions, if that's the right word, about Switzerland's neutral position vis-à-vis the war in Ukraine and how does Switzerland behave neutrally while also being a member of the Security Council? I mean, they're two different questions, but I beg your indulgence. That they're actually I put very, them together they're, like they're that. very much linked. You yes. know, and I, I don't think the situation has really uh, changed since you talked uh, to Thomas. <clears throat> uh, and I think he's right, of course. Uh, neutrality is a, is a concept under international law, which um, means essentially that we don't support the military efforts of either party in an armed conflict. And that's exactly what we do. But neutrality does not mean indifference. When international law is violated, we will say so. We will speak. Uh, we will speak up, and we did particularly in this case now of the Russian aggression against Ukraine. Uh, our government, we here diplomats in Geneva and elsewhere, are very vocal about this. This is a, a, a dramatic violation of international law. Neutrality also doesn't stop us then from coming uh, to the support of the population concerned by the conflict. So there is massive humanitarian aid coming from Switzerland to, for instance, Ukraine, but other places around the world where you see uh, armed armed conflict as well. So, and the same then applies to situations that are dealt with in the Security Council. If there is a violation of the UN Charter of International Law, we will speak up. We will clearly say so. As so in- neutrality is a, d- a dynamic concept. I mean, what, what I often struggle with, and, and not being Swiss and never being in, and not being in any way involved with diplomacy, is how you, as a professional, explain to other of, of your peers what neutrality really means. Or do they must exactly. try and test, test you sometimes. Yes, they do. Because yeah, I can imagine uh, there is, do. there is a, on the one hand, I think the concept is very well understood because professional diplomats know about the law of neutrality and what it implies. And they also know about how Switzerland applies uh, the law of neutrality. But if you are a party to a conflict or if you are very closely allied with one party in a conflict, of course, you would like to get support uh, for that party and you are pushing uh, a bit. And what does it mean? But in essence, it's very well understood. So I have no problem explaining the concept of Swiss neutrality, how it's applied, how it doesn't mean indifference, how it doesn't mean we are not speaking up against violations of international law, how it doesn't mean we're not supporting uh, the population suffering from an armed conflict with humanitarian aid, how it does not mean we're not accepting refugees. And they understand that very well, and I have no difficulties doing that with my colleagues, with my mm-hmm. peers. Okay, that's good. Good to know that. I have one more question for you on international Geneva, but honestly, you you've explained your close 
belief in international Geneva as the top Swiss diplomat here. So I'm not going to repeat, ask you to repeat your answers. Ambassador, we've covered a lot of ground and I'm most grateful to you for answering all my questions so fully and so carefully. And we wish Switzerland well during the remainder of its time on the UN Security Council. My guest today has been Ambassador Jörg Lauber, uh, Switzerland's permanent representative of the United Nations and other international organizations here in Geneva. Thank you again, Ambassador. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Great. Thanks for listening to the McKay Interview podcast, brought to you by Kyoto Japan Automotive Group, a company which I've known personally for over 20 years, and your one-stop shop for tires, batteries, and auto parts. Visit their website at www.kyotojap.com for more details. And you can find more podcasts on Anchor FM. Just Google McKay Interview Anchor FM. Thanks again for listening.